Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. In the name of Jesus, amen. Grab a seat. Memorial weekend, which I assume is where all our friends are today, celebrating Memorial weekend. (laughs) So uh, that's great. And I assume they are, and I bet many of them are actually, going to... uh, graveyards for nowadays it seems like grandma and grandpa as we get further removed from devastating wars that caused a lot of bloodshed such as World War II and the Vietnam War and of course others you know etc. We've definitely seen soldiers die in smaller actions and yet just as heroic Um, but that's what we do this weekend we go there and we uh um, thank God for that person. We remember that person. And specifically, we remember, as I said earlier, that heroic service to the neighbor. That you would do something like this, lay down your life, sir, put your body in harm's way for the person next to you. Our coins... Many of them have a Latin phrase on it. What is it? You were in here the first service, Nathan, so that's why not. (laughs) E pluribus unum. Um, From the many, one. Sounds like something Spock would say in Star Trek, but uh, it's a phrase kind of invented just before the Revolutionary War. It's actually not an old phrase, although it's got a, the idea, I suppose, is old, but really it's the model of the country was really forever. That's the number one motto, actually. Um, e pluribus unum. It's a motto that I think many a man or woman died for. That pretty much from the many makes one. To serve somebody else definitely brings them back to you. I mean, what more beautiful way to make it really clear that I am your friend than to lay down your life for them. But also this e pluribus unum, I think, comes to light when we are at war. Because when you have a common enemy, it brings people together, doesn't it? I think during the 1943, I bet you could say, uh, although there's more divisiveness than we like to make it, make, like, than we like to give it credit, but far less divisiveness than today, you know, everyone was very much united against this very clear enemy. And from the factories to the Men up front, the U.S. was united to defeat this evil dictator. And you'll see it from time and time again. Those things kind of bring a oneness. It's almost, it's sad, but it's actually a beautiful thing when a tough time confronts a country and people come together. But it doesn't last long, does it? And it seems like it's gotten stranger 
even when confronted by a common enemy, our peace and our oneness don't last much longer. I remember 9-11 really kind of brought people together, right? An external enemy and the country just united. People became kinder to one another and dropped differences to work together or to comfort those in New York. But it lasted not long, turned into blame and politics and I'm right and you're wrong and answering the solution, etc. And we were back to fighting. And then this last couple of years, pretty clear common enemy, the pandemic. But I don't know if there was any moment where we were united in serving one another, caring for one another, let alone united in that's the enemy of us. Let's get together to fight that. You know what I mean? We, we were actually more divisive. And then recently, uh, with the shooting in Texas, an issue that nobody's happy with and nobody wants to see happen again, and everybody wants to solve it, by the way, immediately it divided us. It should have been an easy win of bringing people together. Let's solve this issue. But the opposite, right? Vitriol from all sides and their answers. Everybody's got answers. Your enemy that you disagree with on that issue actually wants to solve shootings in schools. Did you know this? <laughs> you don't think so. Because instead, we like to say that if you don't agree with me, you don't want to solve those problems. That's how insane we become, right? Point is, are you feeling the e pluribum unis, unis in your life, in this country? Does your mental state reflect this coin, what's on this penny? Both in terms of the country, your community right here in Chicago, or maybe your own life. Don't feel at one with people at all. Lord, have mercy on us. We really aren't good at this. Even when the answer is right in front of us, real easy. Such, quite frankly, I think the shooting in Texas is like, why can't people just come together and just kind of drop their, their extreme agenda, whatever their agendas are, and like, how can we figure that out so it doesn't... It's crazy. And that's nothing compared to the other crazy ways that we can't work together, can't fix things, can't serve one another, and can't be united. But that's humankind. Every institution fails eventually because the problem's here, isn't it? Jesus lays out this prayer that I think is really relatable to us today about oneness and unity and the end of division. He is, it's Thursday night. The next day he is going to lay down his life for not his friends or his neighbors, but his enemies, you, and rise again for you. And why? To bring you back to the Father, to God, and to one another, ultimately. The, the whole Bible is this story, this beautiful story of this sort of love story of God bringing people 
back into oneness and unity and community with him and to each other. So here he is kneeling down and he's praying to God and he says this. He starts out in chapter 17 praying for his disciples right in front of him, okay, that were living at the time. But then he prays this prayer and this prayer is for you. I do not ask for these only, the disciples living at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? You. And you see a little bit of insight into Jesus' mind. How is he going to save the world? He is not going to do it personally himself. He is going to do it through his disciples that he is going to send. And they're going to speak about Jesus to others, and they're going to hear and believe, and then they're going to be brought into this community. And then those disciples are going to share that good news that there is a God indeed, and that God loves you, and you're forgiven, and you're going to rise again with others, and that's going to spread from disciple to disciple at that contemporary, contemporary time through the ages to right wherever you grew up, and someone said, God loves you, Jesus died and rose for you, and you got it and believed and became a part of this community. It's across the ages and across the globe. Why? Because Jesus prayed. So he says, I don't ask for these, but I'm praying for those who will believe me in the future through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Who's the them? You. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, completely one, in every way one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and though these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's weird language, as you are in me, and I in them, and you are in me, and they are in me. It kind of goes around and around, this oneness and this inness. And I, not really, a, you know, it sounds kind of Eastern mystical a little bit. One with the universe, oneness within the energy force of the world of the molecules, how everything works, that oneness talk, I always uh, thought it was, it just seems kind of, I'm just not attracted to that. What does that mean? It's abstract to me. But then I 
as I'm thinking about this this past week and reading and praying, for me, I can relate better than this just general abstract oneness with the first time that this sort of language is used in the Bible. People oftentimes accuse John as being sort of uh, from the East and using sort of Eastern sort of language and abstract or platonic language in his writing, but I don't think so at all. I think he's talking about the first episode of oneness in creation. Chapter 2 of Genesis. Moses tells us that a, a man will leave his mom and dad and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I can relate to that. And then he says that they were naked and not ashamed. That relationship, it's not abstract. It's what we all want. In a marriage, of course, Adam and Eve had nothing to hide. They didn't have to question what the other person was thinking. They trusted one another completely, as Jesus says, perfect unity. That Remove the word perfect to abstract complete. Like in every way, Adam and Eve got along. They had the same they had the same identity in their mission. They agreed totally in who they were and what they're supposed to do. There were no secrets, and there was no sense that maybe one of them might leave them. Imagine the confidence, the certainty that you would have as a foundation to enjoy a life if you knew that you would never lose the other person. You'd always have someone with you, and they would never be against you, let alone God. But that didn't last long, did it? But I get that, man. To never lose the one you love, to never have to say goodbye to them, to never be betrayed. Wouldn't that be great to live in a community like that? To never walk out your doors and wonder whether or not your fellow man will hurt you. And maybe to live in a world where you won't have those desires to push other people away or say something you know you shouldn't, but you're so angry and you want revenge, you say it, and now you said something that can't be taken back and that person is gone. Or you might work together, but there's a wall now. We are the enemy of our own unity, not those people, not the culture. It's here. So weird, we want to be united together, e pluribus unum, but there's something in us that really hates other people. And, well, maybe not, but it, we want to be the king of that community. <laughs> We want everybody to hang out. We want to have this. We want to have a great marriage, all these things. But in the end, we want it all to work out for us. So Jesus comes and he says these words about a unity that I think we all would really love. A oneness. Bringing people back to God, but also to each other, as Jesus says. 
And he has done that. His death and his resurrection. He's removed the, you know, when, like I just said, when you say something, you can't take it back. And no matter what, that, those words or that action sit there. I've worked with marriages like this. Terrible actions happen. The person is sorry. And there's forgiveness even, but you can't take it back. Water's gone under the bridge, and they'll never get it out of their head. Jesus' death does work. Not only does God absolutely forgive your sins, but unlike us, oftentimes, it is forgotten. When you get to heaven, you might want to bring up something you did, and God will look at you and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. You might say, I'm amazed, Lord, that you forgave me for that. It just blows my mind that you would let, that you're forgiven me, and he would look at you like he doesn't even know what you're talking about. Forgotten. That's a restoration relationship. And Jesus has done that. And if that's not enough, what's the other thing that separates us? Death. I had to sit this week, had the privilege of someone watching his spouse die. Talk about no longer being one. But in Christ, I got to say She's just fine, that she will rise, that she's been baptized in his name, and you will see her again and embrace her again, and in fact, she is alive even more than you are right now in Jesus, that not even death can separate this relationship. When Jesus prays this, he means this. He has come to bring you back to God and to one another. Beautiful words, isn't it? I and them and you and me, and they're all going to get along perfectly. That rhyme. Chapter 17 of John. <laughs> Chapter 18. Sounds good, right? Whoa, this is going to be an awesome community of oneness. I can't wait to be a part of that. Chapter 18. When Jesus has spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests, came to him. And Jesus is betrayed by a friend. After speaking these words of this great, perfect community, and immediately the next thing that happens is a friend throws Jesus under the bus and breaks the community. But then later on in the same chapter 18, well, not very long at all. This is just uh, verse 15. In 15 verses, Judas betrays Jesus, and now Peter denies him three times after that eloquent prayer. And then soon John tells us they all scattered. And then later on in Acts, quite honestly, <laughs> even as the church brought back in Jesus, they're fighting or Peter says crazy things to the uh, Galatians, and Paul's mad at him and has to straighten him out. And then there's St. James. Are we the e pluribus unum in Jesus? Do we get along perfectly? Everything going perfect? Do you feel at one with another here? I think so sometimes. 
I think we should actually see how amazing it actually is. In fact, downstairs, we listen to the Beckers talk about Christians in Kenya. They're missionaries to us. A whole different language, a whole different way of thinking, and yet united amazingly from every language. Right now, Christianity is, is, amazing, is thriving. The love of Christ is thriving, and the church is growing. Maybe not in our luxurious world where we've invented dumb problems that are far, I mean, things that are far more deserving of our love than our neighbor or Jesus. But it is broken oftentimes, isn't it? But what is it that secures our oneness? What is it that keeps you in God? It's not you. Churches have tried to create institutions that are, uh, that are almost kind of like uh, schism proof. If we have the right hierarchy, if we have the right organizational skills, if we can set it up the bureaucracy just right, we will keep ourselves united. Or if we act this way, or if we get rid of bad people, we'll keep ourselves united. And yet, what keeps us united? Where's our unity? It's not in the, unit, the bureaucratical organization we call St. James. It is not in the LCMS. It's not in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not in the Methodist Church. Those are not the things that create and sustain community and oneness. They're good to have organizations, but they come and they go, and as we know, they fail because we fail. But what does Jesus say? I, he's praying that the Father makes us one. He's the one that keeps us one. He's the one that unites us. His words are what keep us in this community. The words of, I forgive you to our friend. The words of, it's going to be okay. She's going to rise again to our sister in Christ. That keeps us unified. Jesus' action, and what does he say at the end here? I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. You are one with God, not because you are behaving better, but because he has brought you in, and he will sustain you, and he is the protagonist, protagonist in this story and in your relationship. Thank God. Your relationship to God is up to him and not you. Did you know that? And thank God the unity of St. James and the spreading of the good news of Jesus and the growing of this church and bringing more and more people into community is up to Jesus and not you. May you have comfort in that. doesn't mean you shouldn't care about being nice to one another and acting more in unity. But Jesus is talking about a reality that's happening right now. You're good with God the Father. He loves you no matter what you've done, and he'll chase you down no matter how far you run. And we are good with one another miraculously, and he will do amazing things through us in this city because this city needs to see some kind of community that's not toxic, some kind of unity that isn't splintered or political or having a bunch of agendas the Lord has set us here on purpose, I tell you that, in this city and in this country to show people that there is a possible way to live in community. It's not political and not full of, and not full of agendas, but it's centered in Jesus, who is the ultimate one who died 
and rose for you in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.